Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. Hi, I'm Jerry Boyer. Welcome to Meeting of Minds podcast. My guest today is Rick Graber from the Bradley Foundation. Uh, Rick, thanks for joining us again. Thank you very much, Jerry. Great to be back with you. I very much enjoyed uh, your recent op-ed about educational freedom and educational choice, which then led me to the video series that you folks at Bradley have done called Expressions for Educational Freedom, uh, which goes into a lot more depth. And mind, I see, I, I've seen three videos. Are there more coming? Is this an ongoing program? Yeah, there'll be a couple more videos. There'll be five total. So um, you and I have talked before about this. It seems like maybe, and we can get into the reasons why, but it feels to me like we might be in a once in a generation opportunity for um, private education and school choice um, because of some of the revelation recently of the failures of the system. Does it look that way to you, too? Oh, I think that's right. And and I think COVID has perhaps speeded up this process quite a bit with, with parents becoming increasingly involved in their kids' education. We certainly saw it in the Virginia governor's race. Um, we've just been through an election in this country and, and lost, I think, through all the clutter was a, a real victory for parents having the ability to choose and, and uh, school choice across the country. Uh, we've all heard about efforts that Ron DeSantis has done, certainly in Arizona, Governor Ducey, some great progress in West Virginia. But there were other governors across the country that really focused on school choice as part of their campaigns. Governors in uh, New Hampshire, Iowa, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, even New York and Illinois, places that you wouldn't expect. School choice was was a key topic, and it was one in which the ultimate winners uh, said in one way or another that they were very open or, or great advocates for giving parents the ability to choose on their, on their child's education. That's great progress. That's not something that we've seen before. Uh, and, and I think it's building. It's got to continue to build. Um, we're, we're just not delivering for way too many kids across this country. And, and I think now is one of those times when we've got to start moving the needle. Well, it's 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 great news, but it's it's unknown news. I, I yes. if I didn't know you, if I weren't talking to you, I wouldn't know that. I haven't seen any post-election commentary um, that talks about. I mean, I'm a conservative. You know, I and most of my conservative friends were a little disappointed um, yes. by by the way things went. Uh, although, to be honest. Partly the disappointment to me was already into place through the primaries, right? In other words, I'm not sure that we were making the best choices in the spring. Um, no, I think that's for, right. For implications in the fall, right? Because uh, you got they got to win both elections. That's the point. They win a primary and a general election. There's two of them. <laughs> and I'm not sure that we remembered that they have two every year. They've got two elections. <laughs> Um, uh, but still, I was still disappointed, although maybe less surprised than some other people. But I, I'm actually heartened now to learn that school choice was a was a big victor on election. Corey, day. Did, Corey DeAngelis, who's who's 
really a great writer and proponent on on school choice in the country. He has an editorial in the Wall Street Journal uh, over the last day or so that that really talks about all this. I didn't see that. I'm going to look that up, and maybe we can link below that in the show notes. I think that's something that people ought to know. And maybe it also we're we're going to wander here a little bit, so I'd warn you in advance. Maybe Wandering is fine. Thank you. Uh, You can handle it. I know that from talking to you before. Maybe some of our messaging was angry and a little weird and a little I agree. You know, kind of not mainstream American, et cetera, but as opposed to, um, you know, quality of life issues and, uh, you know, solutions. And like I'm wa- watching this video series from you about educational freedom. Nobody here is depressed. Nobody looks angry. They all look like people who are facing challenges and overcoming challenges. And I think voters were looking for that. And it sounds like school choice is a winning issue for us because it's an upbeat. It's a buoyant. It's problem solving. It's quality of life. It, uh, it's, it doesn't have that kind of negative energy that a lot no, of uh, I mean, campaigning it, it, has taken on. It, it's a, I view it as a moral obligation, a, a promise that we, we have made or should be making to the kids of this country such that every single child, whatever zip code they come from, should have an opportunity to get a, a good education. And what's the best way to do that? Well, after 35 years of Bradley Foundation involvement in this topic, we, we think it's parents. We think parents are best positioned to make the best choices for their kids. Will it be perfect in all cases? Is every parent willing and able to make those choices? No, but most are. And let's start with that presumption that we should start with parents when it comes to their child's education. And then the second point is give them as many choices as we we possibly can, whether it's public schools, private schools, charter schools, home schools, some combination thereof, the more the better, because the more choices they have, the better chance, I think, the kids of, of getting an education that fits for them not just the standard way of doing things the way we've done it in this country for, for too long uh, to the point where, where we are today, the results are just not there. Mm. We're failing too many kids. And let's, let's use this as a rallying cry this moment in time to, to start turning that around in All a right. big way. I'm sorry. You got, uh, you, I, I cut you off. Did you, did you get to finish what you wanted to say there? I sure did. All right. So this moment in time, I want to zoom in on that. Why is this moment in time such a, I would, in the Greek, a kairos moment, a hinge moment? It feels like that to me in the education reform movement. Why do you think this is such an important moment? In, in many ways, I think it's, it's coming out of the pandemic and, and COVID and, and the awakening that that seems to have created. The, there's no question that shutting down schools for as long as they were shut down was a, a tragic and, and horrible mistake in many, many places. Some schools didn't shut down, some, but many did. In fact, most did for way too long. Uh, and, and I think we'll look back as, as, a, as this being a, a very, very bad decision for the youth in our country. But what it did do was awaken parents. It awakened them to what their kids are being taught in school. It awakened them to the quality of the education that these kids were getting. Um, and and, and it, I think it awakened in parents a sense that we got to take some control of this. Uh, you know, that these are, this is our family. These are our kids. And, and we've got to have a voice in this. And 
you know, while the pandemic was not good and, and the results were not good, perhaps it has created this opportunity and, and in fact, crisis that we've got to address. And as I said earlier, in, in talking about the states that are focused on this, we've never seen this kind of broad support. And, and we're seeing it in local elections, school board elections mm. uh, in, in places all over the country, too, where before Parents just didn't worry too much about their school board elections. Now they are because it makes a difference. Yes. And, um, you know, uh, I, it was a revelation, I think, uh, of um, priorities. I'm going to be I'm going to be tough here. You can join in or not. So I'm not going to put you on the spot to, to join me in this. But the question is, who are the schools for? Right. So officially, they're for the kids. Right there for this, the, and and to some degree for the parents, the 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 teachers stand in local parentis, which means that you know, because parents maybe don't know how to teach calculus, for example, or have day jobs, the teacher is standing in for the parents, teaching something um, th- for the good of the children, acting on behalf of the parents, and so the teacher is the servant in that process. Yes. All right, but if you shut down for two years, um, and you know, as much as COVID is a problem, it really isn't a huge problem for children, right? It was a very age, the, the risk was very much distributed out at the older end of the age curve. You know, you just didn't really have, uh, you don't have super high risk for six-year-olds uh, from COVID, right. right? They were not highly susceptible. Um, and um, so this, it's shut down for them. Well, probably not because they're low risk for the parents. Well, if it's for the parents, then you would ask what the parents want to do and they could send them or not. So it seems to me that the system revealed what its priorities were, and it didn't seem that the priorities were the kids or the parents. Um, the, the priorities were the providers inside the system. And once that's revealed, I think parents, they, well, they notice it and they don't easily yes. forget it. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to join you in that. Okay. I don't think kids have, have been the priority at all. And I think teachers unions have been a, a significant part of the problem. Hmm. Uh, certainly the leadership in teachers unions have been a significant part of the problem. Um, it, 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 you're right. It's, it seems as if they're trying to protect a system, a, a way of doing things that shouldn't change in any way. And, and that's not right because the kids are not coming first in, in that equation. They should be coming first. I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of uh, public dollars following students and then let, letting parents decide how they want to spend that money like they're doing in Arizona we don't quite do it that way in Wisconsin, but effectively the same way. That's what we ought to be focused on. And, and you look at test results and test scores, particularly post-pandemic, they're not acceptable. And whatever we're doing isn't working. So we all ought to be open. And this shouldn't be a, a partisan debate between left and right. But let's sit down and figure out how we can do a better job educating our kids, because right now we're not. And the statistics are very clear on that. Not everywhere, but in large urban areas, in many rural areas, but particularly in large urban areas with uh, black and Hispanic kids, we're just not delivering. Yeah. And, and I suppose and that's, that's not good enough. It, it is largely a partisan issue, but I think looking at the experience there in Wisconsin, where you basically got it started, Tommy Thompson, Polly um, Williams, um, you know, Dr. Howard Fuller, exactly uh, that un, un, unlikely bedfellows. That, but, that's uh, it. In, in other words, it's a little bit bipartisan in that if a conservative who believes really believes in compassion links up 
with a liberal who really who really cares about the kids. Though that doesn't just talk about caring about the kids, but really cares about the kids. You can get these cross the aisle coalitions, and it seems to me that I think pretty much every school choice program that I've seen get through the legislative process around the country had that kind of reach across the aisle element to it. There's got to be. Um, and <laughs> uh, we, we've got to have politicians that are willing to step up and have some courage on this and, and undoubtedly take some arrows uh, in the process. But it's but it's for the kids and, it, and it's for our futures. And, um, you know, we, we, we owe it to each other to do that. I, I, I hope we can see that. We're, we're in a pretty entrenched society right now that's that's worrisome. I, we don't have enough of those political leaders on both sides mm-hmm. willing to come together on this very, very important issue. Now, you mentioned this is a, a key moment um, and, you know, partly the COVID shutdowns in the sense that they were shutdowns and that indicated that maybe the system isn't about the kids after all, right? And it's left them two years behind in many cases. Another part of the shutdown was that education didn't necessarily shut down. Part of it went online through streaming services, which now created the possibility as parents, as observers, when they had never been able to be observers before. And when they set the little one up in front of the Zoom that day, and maybe once, you know, maybe mom's going by and she's doing some cleaning and she's listening a little bit to what's going on. Parents weren't necessarily liking what they were hearing. How much do you see that as a factor, where there was kind of a revelation of some of the ideological capture of classrooms? Well, I think it was. I mean, first of all, the online working, for the most part, didn't work. But what it did do was open up a window for parents to see what was actually going on. Why aren't our kids being taught civics the way you and I were taught, just understanding fundamentals about how our government operates? And, And why aren't we talking about the greatness of this country? Yes, there are flaws, but at the end of the day, there has been more opportunity, um, more ability to be an entrepreneur, to start a business, to to do great things in, in any field than in any other place on earth ever. And that is just a fact. And we're, we're losing that. We're, we're becoming so tribalistic that we're, we're losing sight of what it means to be an American uh, and, and, and losing sight of those things that we have in common as opposed to how we differ. Uh, and, and I think there's a longing for parents to to see some of that in in many many places, and there's not enough of it. There's some, uh, and 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 maybe it's parents acting with their feet now that they can more and more, and and putting their students in places where that is part of the curriculum, that is part of the discussion, that is part of the culture. Yeah, and as I think about it. Um... My mind just took sort of a odd jump here as you were talking about civics, right? Uh, Chives, right? Kiwe, Kiwes, city. So a city has to be bound together by something, right? There has to be there has to be some kind of commonality for there to be a city. Otherwise, it's not a city. Right. It's two warring tribes next to one another. It's a border, not a city, right? So if there's a border around it, it's a city. If there's a border down the middle of it, it ain't a city. Right. right. And and ideologically, we're more in the case of a border down the middle. Um, and what I see being taught in schools is it's not just not teaching civics. It's teaching anti-civics. It's teaching group identity, trumping yes. civil uh, yes. order and civil commonality. So it's not, it's worse than ignorance. It's yes. worse than neutrality. It is 
destruction of the civil structure. Um, and no wonder cities are burning. Right. And no wonder left-wingers and right-wingers are picking up rifles and doing... I mean, if they're told that fundamentally your group identity is what you are and fundamentally you have to be at odds with a different group identity, you cannot really have common ground. Co common ground is an illusion. Um, then people who are psychologically unstable will take that to the ultimate conclusion, which is violence. And other people will, maybe they're more psychologically stable, they'll just pull out of civic life. But this, but it's, it, it tears the city apart. And that's what we're seeing. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're told that you're a victim and there's nothing you can do about it, uh, and, and there are people out there that are oppressing you and always will and always have, how do you build optimism? How do you build hope for, for a future? You just can't. But that's not what America is. Hmm. It's just not what this country is. And uh, I, it, it's so much fun for me to go into the schools that we support that are in the video series, the leaders of those schools that are demanding excellence, that aren't making excuses, that are uh, you know, demanding that these kids meet expectations and have accountability and responsibility and, and not accepting any excuses at all for failure. That's where there's hope. And that's what we ought to be, be building on. And with the leaders that we talk to, that we fund, those same people are all over the country in every single community doing incredible work. And you just said, if you're told that you're a victim, and I would add, then of course you, you're not likely to succeed. I would add, if you're told that you're a victimizer automatically and that that is immutable, that is ontological. If you are a member of a, of a historic victimizer group, then you are automatically a victimizer. Um, then that also cause, causes, causes, sorry, a withdrawal. You can't redeem yourself by civic engagement now because you're all, you're, you're bad forever. Right. Um, right. And so there's no reason to go out there and try to rebuild the community or build the community or reach right. across the aisle or work together or help somebody because you are always under accusation and there's nothing to be gained. There's no brotherhood or sisterhood possible exactly. because you are immutably part of a victimizing class. So it paralyzes both the victim class and the victimizer class in some ways. Totally agree. You know, one of the things that makes this country unique has been our so-called civil society. And, and what is that? Well, it's not complicated. It's neighborhoods, it's churches, schools, um, it's voluntary organizations. It, it really is unique. And I, I had the, the, the privilege to live and work overseas for a time, um, especially in Europe. And it's just different, even in Europe. Um, the, it's Czechoslovakia, this, right? You... I, I served as ambassador to the Czech Republic. Yes. Oh, sorry, uh, the Czech Republic. And, I, I'm going to get that right. Originally yes. Czechoslovakia, right. yeah. And, and this notion of volunteering time and, and volunteering resources is, is very foreign uh, in, in places like that. And it really is what makes this country unique and, and different. And we can't ever lose that. And again, when, when people are, are, are told that they're part of this tribe or that tribe, and, and not Americans, it, it's damaging. And we've got to resist that at, at every point. Hmm. And a lot of this happens in schools and it happens at a very early age. And um, we got to address that. It, it's one of the, in my mind, one of the fundamental issues, one of the fundamental crises that faces our country right now. And we can't give up.
No, we I agree. Give we up. can't. So I'm I'm wondering. You said we can't lose that, and I'm wondering to what degree. How much are we preserving something that hasn't gone yet? Or how much are we trying to bring back something that to some degree already has retreated? Um, in, in other words, to my view, we are, we are not holding. We have lost ground. I think and now right. we're trying to figure out how to regain it. Do you, do you agree with that? that I, 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 I think I do. I mean, there's no doubt that there's been a breakdown in family, that the, the statistics are, are pretty clear on that. Um, less participation in, you know, in, in organizations like the Rotary Club or Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. There, there's less of that. Little League hmm. uh, statistics are down. The, the, this was part of the glue in our communities that um, we're, we're, we're losing a little bit. Um, you know, it, it's not all about nostalgia and, and, and the good old days, that kind of thing. It, it's about communities and uh, people working together with each other and trusting each other and befriending each other hmm. that we, we can't lose sight of. It, it, it's a very special part of what it means to be an American. And um, it, 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 it's somewhat in jeopardy right now. I wonder, I, to agree. What, I wonder to what degree there's a shift now in that what would be left of the glue that holds society together. You mentioned Little League, Rotary, fraternal associations. I have a lot of friends yes. who are Masons, et cetera. Right. It, right. Seems like, it seems like they're gone, honestly. I mean, I've spoken to some Rotary groups, and over the years, I've seen it down to— it's getting smaller you know, and smaller. Like, like in the back of the diner, me talking to four retirees, right? Yeah. That's the—you yeah. know, um, probably that—we probably don't rebuild that. And maybe there is— Okay, here's the thesis. You tell me what you see. That um, spiritually neutral Americanist civil institutions are on the decline and that maybe what replaces them would be non-spiritually neutral, spiritually aligned, religiously aligned group that, that maybe that as we take back ground, it probably isn't Boy Scouts, Rotary, Right. Masons. I agree. It's probably more explicitly re- religious organizations. I, you I, see that? I, I, yeah. I, I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's fair. And I think I think it's fair to say we're, we're not going to recreate what used to be, nor should we. Um, um, but we got to create this sense of, of community in, in some way and sense of commonality that that, as I said, I, I think we all sense that has has slipped to a pretty significant extent. Hmm. Well, one of the things we see is that um, bad and tough times actually create the necessity for civil society. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's absolutely right. <clears throat> Unfortunately, too often government tries to fill this void hmm. and government's not very good at this. I mean, I, I, I think we've shown that. There's been, there's been some great writing. Uh, Amity Schles is, is one of them that has, has talked about the impact of Johnson's Great Society and that ef- effectively it's been a failure. Hmm. Uh, that's more government, more government at play, more government trying to solve problems. People solve problems, neighborhoods solve problems, communities solve problems. It, it's not another government program. Hmm. Interesting. 
Well, um, I've enjoyed our conversation. Is there anything else you want As to say always. before before I let you go? I know you're a busy man, and uh, I know that uh, my listeners like uh, hearing from you. Is there anything that we didn't cover, any point you want to make before we say goodbye? Uh, I think we covered a lot of things, Jerry. It's always great fun to spend time with you. It is as well. This has been uh, Meeting of Minds podcast. I've been talking with Rick Graber from the Bradley Foundation. By the way, Google it, Expressions of Educational Freedom. Expressions of Educational Freedom. Or just Bradley. If you Google Bradley Foundation. It's on the Bradley Foundation website. It is. BradleyFDN.org. Dot org slash K-12, right? Or it's, you can even find yes. it from the homepage. Just some yes. wonderful stories. If you're feeling a little down about what's going on in the world, you're going to look at this and you're going to feel better. Thank There's you. hope. Thank you for those videos and thank you for the programs you're supporting, Rick. Thanks, Jerry. I'm Jerry Boyer. Thanks for joining us. 